Welcome to Decarb Connect podcast. And today I'm joined by Simon Egerfoss, who's the co-founder and CEO of Pyrogenesis. And we are, I guess for this one, kind of looking at a very early stage business, trying to tackle uh, elements of decarbonisation, but also really with this fascinating lens on how off-grid communities can get uh, more out of, I guess, the, the reutilization of waste and, and other circular economy initiatives. So, Simon, can I ask you just to give a little bit of an intro to how how have you arrived at this point in time where you have founded this business and you you have this focus? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Thanks very much uh, for hosting me today, Alex. Uh, pleasure to speak with you and uh, your listeners. Um, yeah, it's really come about as a result of, um, first of all, you know, going on one of those uh, life adventures, seeking to do something different. Um, I'd left uh, local government and uh, was seeking to set up a business in Nigeria that was going to be involved in manufacturing cassava starch. Um, I had a manufacturing partner um, who was going to put up capital and supply the equipment and buy all the products that we were going to make um, once I could set up a factory in Nigeria. And so I went out to Nigeria, spent uh, six months out there. And, you know, whilst I was looking around, I realized that a lot of other business, similar businesses that were trying to produce cassava starch and flour um, weren't doing too well. And the reason being was that uh, they typically use diesel to run their generators for the electricity and uh, even potentially for um, giving them heat as well. So they were burning fossil fuels and also firewood uh, in order to give them their heat and electricity. And um, yeah, at the same time, they were producing a lot of waste. And it just so happened that there was a, uh, an open source um, academic article um, that was uh, authored by Professor Tony Bridgewater and Dr. James Titiloy um, from Aston University. And they were showing how they were converting cassava peel into diesel, um, kerosene for jet fuel and value-added chemicals. And I thought, wow, well, um, you know, Nigeria runs on diesel generators. If I could produce diesel from, um, you know, agricultural or agri-food processor waste, um, I'd have a business. Uh, and so, you know, that's where the kind of like the moment of epiphany, if you like, occurred. And I was like, uh, right, well, um, why don't I, you know, uh, do a, a massive pivot, uh, head back to the UK and sign up uh, to do a chemical engineering degree at Aston University and learn how this technology works and spent six years in my adult life retraining to become a chemical engineer. And uh, for my master's research uh, project, uh, I did just that. Um, you know, I was using pyro catalytic pyrolysis, converting um, biomass into jet fuel components. Um, so, you know, after I finished and submitted that, um, I registered pyrogenesis uh, with a view to then inventing my own technology that was going to uh, enable that, um, you know, and here we are today. Incredible story. So just as a kind of, even going back a bit further, can you, were you a scientist? Were you into science earlier in life? Or was this a total kind of shift in academic perspective and everything else? What, what was, yeah, what was the background? Well, immediately previously, as I said, I'd been working in local government. So I was managing, um, uh, you know, uh, funded programs. Um, so I had a lot of project management background. And um, whilst at Leicester City Council, I was the first non-executive director of the city council. And so I was sat on, um, you know, board of directors that was running the city. And the, one of the things that, um, you know, really fascinated me the most was how a city manages its waste. You know, so I saw the different challenges 
And <clears throat> you know, I thought this is this is a really underutilized resource. There must be something better we can do with it. So that gave me the context of like, you know, we need to look at ways of um, you know utilizing waste. Um, you know, so um, but before that, yes, I'd studied you know chemistry, biology, physics, you know maths, and you know always found them really fascinating. And I have that inquisitive mind, so I was always searching. Um, you know, to you know, I had an inventive and uh, you know creative. Um, you know, uh, way about me that, uh, you know, I remember on my LinkedIn profile when I first started um, at university, I was like, oh, I'm going to invent my own technology. <laughs> you know, I'm going to invent my own system for doing all of this, for solving this problem. And uh, lo and behold, you know, uh, several years later, it actually happened, you know. Um, but that had that that required a lot of other skills that was about piecing together the funding, raising the financing, the match funding and everything like that. So then let's talk about the company. So you've explained a little bit about the, the kind of the goals that were driving you when you were kind of yeah doing this big retraining and then uh, launching. But tell us, like right now, what is the space? How do you describe the space that Pyrogenesis occupies? And, and where are you at? What kind of stage of development are you at at the moment? And then we'll then we'll talk a little more about um, yeah those drivers of off-grid communities and, and decarbonisation and more generally. But tell tell us about the kind of the stage of the business and and as I say, what what place does it occupy in the market? Okay, so the stage of the business, Alex, is that um, we have uh, utilising the resources that we've been able to access. We've built a, a containerized. Uh, machine, so it's like a pilot plant. It's um, in the factory at the moment. Uh, you know, we're, we've done um, initial tests, uh, factory tests to identify, you know, all the snagging issues. Uh, you know, we've um, upgraded certain components, and um, you know, so it, it improved the way it operates, so that it can operate continuously and robustly, uh, running on a wide variety of different feedstocks. Uh, so we're about to finalize all the different changes and then we'll do the next um, round of factory trials and uh, which we hope will be successful and then you know based on that it's then good to go to site and that's like a live test site uh, which uh, we're hoping would be at the Thornton Science Park which is in the northwest uh, right next to the Stanlow oil refinery and um, that's where we can then start running um, the pilot units on a 24-7 basis um, we would want to be testing a uh, you know, number of different waste feedstocks. Uh, so I'm at the moment, um, you know, in Nigeria, uh, looking for, um, you know, uh, potential customers, prospective customers who have, uh, they generate a lot of waste uh, because they tend to be like agri-food processes or large um, agricultural operations, and they need a lot of heat and electricity. So um, the idea is to test their waste in our machine. Um, we can demonstrate the business case is viable and then on the back of that, uh, we can hopefully get uh, supply contracts to you know, send our machines, uh, which we would operate uh, business to business. Um, we would own, operate, maintain the equipment, and we would uh, be selling energy as a service. So we would sign power purchase agreements with them. And we also produce uh, you know, biofuels, um, both uh, solid and liquid, which we would be looking to, um, to have offtake partners to purchase those that we already have in place as well. Um, so in a sense, that's our kind of like first go-to-market um, stage is working with uh, manufacturers. And then from there, we would look to expand out um, to uh, the communities that supply them. And those, it's all about creating um, energy access in a you know, market where you know, energy is uh, very sporadic. 
Okay, and then so well that that leads me neatly into my the next question really, which is you you sort of talked a little bit about this idea of um, like, or rather not the idea of the focus on Nigeria uh, off grid communities, but what what are the market opportunities that you see both? I, I know when we did the prep chat for this, you were obviously primarily focused on off grid communities, but also you were talking about potential applications in developed markets as well. Right. So for UK. Um, what we realized is we started getting inquiries from businesses that were looking to produce their carbon footprint. And, uh, you know, they uh, typically might produce waste. Which, so they have a waste management or waste disposal, um, you know, problem, uh, or it's costing them quite a lot of money. And if this is waste that we can treat through our system, uh, then we can effectively, if, as well as, especially they would ideally be using low carbon heat. We can't generate electricity necessarily competitively to you know what you can buy it for in the UK, um, but heat, yeah, we can compete with uh, heat on a low carbon basis if you want to uh, reduce your carbon footprint. So um, we realised that we could provide like a on-site waste disposal, you know, at our pilot scale, and also uh, you know from uh, the biochar that we produce, we have various routes that we can um, send that. Um, you know, sell that biochar into, uh, that then means that it's a, a sequestered carbon. And as a result, um, you know, effectively, that as a sequestered carbon, it's in solid form, it's inert, it's very stable, it doesn't decompose and return to the atmosphere for at least 100 years. So in effect, we're taking carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, so it's a carbon removal um, solution that we can provide to you know, businesses in the UK, Europe, America, um, using, you know, the existing equipment that we've got. Mm. But then, so having asked about that kind of wider opportunity, so just coming back to your original driver, which is quite a personal one for you, right, which is enabling off-grid communities to utilise waste and, and so forth. Again, what tell us a bit more about that. So what, what types of communities, what types of um, manufacturing operations would this apply to? Can you sort of paint a bit of a picture for that original market that you had identified? Yeah, so, you know, when we were looking at, um, you know, the, the um, you know, the type of projects that we wanted to get involved with, and we got funding from um, Innovate UK, we had uh, four projects that were funded through Innovate UK, and they were all focusing on Sub-Saharan Africa, and, you know, providing energy access. So, you know, it's, uh, typically the case that you have, um, you know, agricultural communities um, that they are their primary producers and they sell, you know, what they harvest to other people who then, you know, process that. So, um, you know, if they had access to heat and electricity, they could add value to their produce. And um, so this is where, you know, we've done a lot of work to explore the business cases where they will be viable. And, um, you know, this is a this is the really exciting market because it means that we are addressing the needs of what they call the bottom of the pyramid. So, you know, these are typically the families that would might live on less than a dollar a day. And um, and as such, um, that means that they can't really afford to spend much on things like electricity. That's a complete luxury. Um, so the fact that we produce these other um, you know commodities that we can sell means that the price of the electricity, we can make sure that it's affordable to them and give them access to it. And they just happen to produce the, the, the feedstock that you know we need to put into our machine. So it's a model that balances itself out because we 
have more than one income stream. Um, that's how we can be competitive in a market that's not very appetizing to you know many other um, you know people who are trying to provide energy access in the form of like solar panels or that. Because it costs a lot of money to invest in the mini grids to distribute um, the power to um, those you know those end users. And that's why in one of our projects, well actually two of our projects, uh, we work with um, you know battery uh, you know technology providers and uh, you know use batteries to distribute electricity as a cheaper way than investing in the infrastructure of a mini grid. Really interesting. And, and the so those kind of uh, those primary audiences, you know, the people that are producing agricultural product, producing cassava and then it goes off to be processed into other products. What sorts of things is cassava used for? Yeah, so most people might know cassava as tapioca, um, and uh, it's used nowadays. The, the, the gluten-free industry has grown up, so, um, you know, and also the vegan industry has grown up. So the, you know, cassava flour or starch is ideally suited to those products. And, um, you know, so it's gaining traction in those markets. Um, cassava is also um, the Chinese have been investing heavily, um, you know, uh, purchasing um, chipped dried cassava and shipping it back to China to make turn it into ethanol and then, you know, um, sell it back, you know, in blended fuel products. So um, and now, of course, ethanol is very big on hand sanitizers. So, you know, cassava is uh, one of the staples that you can use very, um, you know, cheaply and easily to make ethanol, bioethanol um, and then all these other additional products as well you can use it to make sweeteners um sorbitol um you know uh, nigeria has a sorbitol uh, at least one that i know of sorbitol plant now um and you know this is you know another way of um avoiding the you know the, the sugarcane industry um and i think it uses far less inputs as well uh, so you know there's a lot of um different uh, applications of um, cassava that you know feeds into industrial supply chains, mm. but I mean, I mean, ultimately, from a purely commercial perspective, then your users, your client, prospective client base, is are, are in a market that is growing, and you have a product that can add more value to what they're doing anyway, as well as those other kind of additional benefits. So it's kind of a a nice kind of growth potential story, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean. The thing with, you know, we've chosen Nigeria for many reasons, but um, it just so happens that it's the world's largest producer of cassava as well. And, uh, you know, we've tested, um, you know, the different wastes that you can get from cassava and found them to be very suitable feedstocks. So, um, you know, once the, the country gets going on investing in, um, you, know, pro, you know, providing an, an industry that uses and converts cassava, um, you know, it's it's really going to create a lot of um, you know wealth and uh, you know economic opportunities to local people, because although Nigeria is the world's largest producer, it hardly exports anything, and that's because it's a staple you know for most you know a lot of people in the country. Um, so there's actually um, most of the cassava that's grown at the moment is for human consumption, and you know everybody knows how to plant and grow cassava pretty much in Nigeria, even small children. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a great crop to mobilize because it has all these industrial applications as well that could create, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of tens, tens of thousands of jobs, you know, for one of our installations, we've calculated one installation alone could support 400 jobs in that, you know, in the cassava supply chain, in the value chain. So, 
um, you know, that just shows you the kind of potential that we're talking about from just, you know, one feedstock. Mm. And then, so the, the core technology then, pyrolysis, is, it's, I mean, I, I know you've, you've explained it to me and I, I found it really interesting. Do you find it something, like, is, does it have a good level of understanding in the investor community? Is it something you're typically having to educate people on? Or Yeah, pyrolysis is not necessarily that well known as a technology. Um, you know, or understood, I should say. A lot, everybody knows it intuitively because they meet it every day, yeah, without realizing. Um, so, uh, and the problem has been is that there have been various ventures in the past that, um, you know, where they haven't managed to get it to work commercially. Um, so investors can sometimes have had their fingers burnt in the past and um, are a bit shy, you know, when you mention pyrosis. But nowadays, you know, I see a lot more emerging um, you know, companies are emerging um, who are using pyrolysis technology. And that's because it's a very powerful um, technology. It's good at what it does if it's done properly. And it's effectively a thermal separation. So when you add air and you've got heat, you, you get a flame, you, you start a fire. But if you don't have any air, you don't start a fire, you don't, you don't burn things. So effectively what you've done is separate them from a solid state into a, a, a gas state. They become like a vapor. And then that means that those vapors are, um, you know, hydrocarbons, and uh, just like a petrochemical in, um, industry, you know, specialises in converting hydrocarbons into all sorts of end products. Well, pyrolysis has, has sped up what geological processes have taken millions of years to do, you know, in a matter of uh, minutes. Uh, so, you know, it gives you access to, uh, you know, materials um, that you can then reconfigure. Um, depending on what the end use application is going to be. So it's the starting, it's the workhorse to um, give you raw materials that you can then feed into other processes to upgrade to, you know, value-added products. So coming back to the business, I think one of the things I really liked about the story and the kind of, well, not just the, the technology, of course, but the story around your business is that you, you're bringing this lens of not just what it could do in the UK or the US or in, you know, a kind of pretty developed market, but that you do have this lens on Nigeria and, and other opportunities. So like, what, what's your sense of, like, how can you build on that? Where, where, where next? I mean, well, where next is obviously the pilot plant and we'll come back to that in a minute, but what, what's your sense of a kind of a wider opportunity beyond Nigeria, do you think? Because one of the products is biochar, and biochar, as I said, when it's sequestered it, um, into, you know, say agricultural soil or horticultural applications, um, effectively you've removed carbon from the environment. So this means that a manufacturer who produces a waste that we can convert into a biochar can effectively decouple manufacturing from carbon emissions, because at the moment manufacturing goes hand in hand with emission growth. Yeah. So if you're going to manufacture something, you're going to create emissions. Well, how about if we could actually remove those emissions from the manufacturing process and make, you know, you, potentially you could end up with a negative carbon, um, um, you know, manufacturing process. So that's why we're um, looking to explore with manufacturers um, who produce a combustible waste. Um, so anything that will burn um, is something that we can treat using pyrolysis. Whether or not, it, um, so if it was an organic material, that's why we would call it biochar. If it was not, say it was plastics, um, then it would just be a char, uh, pyrolysis char. Um, but at the end of the day, if that char is a, and it's, it's typically going to be a high carbon content material, 
if we can find a way of locking that into something um, and locking it away from the environment for over 100 years, then we have a carbon removal system. And then that's why you can start saying manufacturing can continue to grow without the growth of emissions. I think that's the most powerful application of this technology at this time. And so, so right now, then, so you mentioned that the kind of the literally the kind of the next step for the business is this uh, pilot plant in the northwest of the UK. So, so what is it that's most important for you to prove next? Do you think in in this process? And most investors I speak to say to me, "Is oh, have you got a you know a, a, an operating system?" Um, and I'm saying it's on its way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they all want to see that it's clocked up at least, you know, a uh, thousand hours uh, fault-free continuous operation, Alex. And uh, so that means that it can then fit into, you know, a regular maintenance um, regime. Um, so we that will, um, you know, provide technology validation. And then from the data that we, pr um, we produce, we'll be able to do like the mass and energy balance. So we'll be able to show you, right, for every tonne of this material that we put in, this is how much heat and electricity and biofuels that we're going to get out. And then that underpins the business case to say, is this going to be commercially viable, you know, in this application, you know, or at this scale? So that's the information that, you know, the commercial and the technology validation that everybody wants to see. They want to see that it's uh, robust. How efficient is it, you know, making those conversions? And we will have the data. So I won't just be saying, oh, it can do this. I'll, I'll be saying it does this. Yeah, and here's the data to back it up. But unlike, say, like a petrol or a diesel car, where you know if you put a petrol in that car, you know how many miles to the gallon, and likewise diesel, every different feedstock is different. Yeah, so from one factory to the next, it could they could both be, say, timber yards, for instance, but the timber um, shavings from one yard is not going to necessarily give you the same performance as the timber shavings from the next yard because of the variability of where they source their material from. So variability is the other thing. That's why we have to test every different feedstock from every source that we're going to hopefully operate with. Okay, so the, kind of the variability piece is just so that you're then able to sort of show, you know, that, like a comparison of what different feedstocks would be able to, to generate. Yeah, so we can tell you what we're going to give you based on what we're receiving. Tell us a bit about how you have funded so far and what is what is the plan for sort of fundraising and, and next steps? Um, so all of the team pretty much that are involved in Pyogenesis, all the early stage um, you know, uh, people that are involved have uh, typically invested. Um, you know, I invested heavily myself. Um, I sold my house so that I could uh, invest uh, what, we, what the company needed at the time. And uh, that enabled us to leverage uh, grants because we used the, you know, those investments as match funding. Um, we also managed to pick up some contracts along the way um, to do some testing and uh, to do feasibility studies as well. Um, and these are part of our core competencies. So, um, you know, Dr. Joseph Ecke, who's my um, co-founder, uh, he's published um, several peer-reviewed journal articles on you know the pyrolysis of you know different types of wastes, the techno-economic analysis and appraisal of you know using pyrolysis as a technology in certain settings. So if you were to Google him, you'd find some really interesting articles that you could read up. Um, and these are our core competencies in that we can, if you've got a waste stream and you want to know what can you do with it and can you add value to it, um, well that's something that we can help you with. Um, and uh, you know we would do that on a contractual work basis. Um, however, those kind of contracts aren't going to give us the amount of money that we need to do the extended trials, which is the 
um, where we're at now. So we're in our first kind of like, um, you know, uh, investment raise. We're talking to a number of different uh, impact investors are the ones who are most keen to speak with us because they, you know, they typically want to create, you know, positive um, benefits to society, uh, especially in less developed countries. And they see how we can um, help them achieve that. So, um, you know, out of that, um, we're hoping to raise the capital to be able to have done extensive um, trials that demonstrate that the technology is robust, it's efficient, and it's profitable. And, um, and then, you know, the next stage would be to, um, you know, sign contracts with the kind of companies who then say, yes, um, you know, thanks for testing our waste. We now want you to bring your machines and install them at our locations. So um, that, that's where we're at at the moment. So, you know, um, we will be publicizing a bit more of that um, on the internet um, very shortly. Okay. And just um, obviously people listen to podcasts at different points in time. So if you're just finding us, this conversation is June 2021. So Simon, in that context, what's your, do you, I, I know no one can ever, you can't plan exactly, but what's your sense of timeframes for tests on the pilot plant and next funding round? We're waiting for a couple to hear whether we've been successful with a couple more grants. Um, and, uh, you know, this month, hopefully, we should find out whether we've got one of them that then gives us the green light to um, move everything from the factory to our test site. Uh, you know, so if that's successful, um, you know, by next month, you would see us, you know, operating our equipment at Thornton Science Park, uh, you know, on a 24-hour, 24-7 basis. Yeah. Um, part of the uh, meetings that I'm having as well in Nigeria is to, you know, regardless of whatever happens with the grant funding, I'm looking for, um, you, know, uh, you know, prospective customers who are willing to fund uh, similar trials uh, that would facilitate that work as well. Um, so one way or another, we're hoping that by July stroke August, you know, we're going to be, um, you know, on site operating 24-7 with our machine. For anyone interested in a bit more information, I'm going to pin Simon down after this uh, recording to share some links that we'll put in the show notes. So you can find show notes um, definitely on our website in the insights page. And I think you can usually see them on iTunes. We can we can provide, you know, just some links to some of the articles uh, and introductions to the technology there as well. Um, well, Simon, thank you so much for talking us through that. I mean, I, I'm just always amazed and in awe of people who are doing what you're doing, like this real early stage, but massive potential technology. I mean, I, I'm sure it must be very uh, a combination of emotions <laughs> when you're building a business around this. Well, it needs people like you as well, Alex, because, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, don't realize that there's such a powerful technology that's about to transform, you know, very big parts of the world. <laughs> and it will do just that, you know, because, um, I mean, the implications of what we're talking about, the liquid biofuels, the target biofuel that we're um, looking at producing is kerosene. And in one of our projects, you know, in the lab, we've proven that we can take, you know, agricultural waste and turn it into kerosene without the oil industry or the petrochemical industry yeah so can you imagine if you've got you know tens of thousands of villages all over you know less developed countries who are now producing their own kerosene yeah that's that's going to plug them into a global economy uh, because you can export kerosene it will transform the economic um, opportunities for you know these type of communities and that's what really motivates me at the end of the day it's kind of like it's it's a calling 
you know it's like I, I suddenly when I had that epiphany moment I didn't realize it but it's kind of like I discovered my life's purpose and so most of the people that you'll find working at Pyogenesis are equally as excited as I am as, you know because they can see the impact um, that we're going to have once we get going and we just can't wait to get started but we do have to we do need a little bit more support because we're at that kind of like hanging over the valley of the shadow what was it the valley of death <laughs> You know, where we've got the machine, it's in the factory, we've just got to show that it does what it, we, you know, we designed it to do. So, yeah, it's, that's why, you know, opportunities like this to speak to your listeners, Alex, is great. So thank you very much uh, for what you do as well. You're welcome. And we will um, hopefully get an update from you. Maybe we can uh, share that in our newsletter later in the year when you're a bit further along. Yeah. And uh, again, anyone who has any questions about the business or anything else, either get in touch with us or we'll make sure we provide a link to Simon's LinkedIn account or something like that yeah. on our webpage so that you can you can get in touch. Thanks again, Simon. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.